Brilliant. Well, it's great to have Paul with us uh, today and uh, to share a bit of the story, the story almost before the 25 years, because today we celebrate the, the 25 years of this building. But as we just talk in then, back in, uh, he'll tell you, but a, bit, a few more years, even before I was born in 86, uh, than uh, these guys. So. It's amazing. Yeah, so let's just pray. <laughs> Yeah, Father, I just thank you uh, for Paul and, and for the people here, Lord, who uh, heard your voice and devoted to one another and loved one another and loved the community and gave to one another and gave to this community and prayed uh, and sacrificed for you uh, to make this building possible. Lord, Lord thank, thank you that there's people here still today uh, who have made that possible. But Lord, we thank you so much that they were simply responding to your call. You were inviting them to be part of your church, to be part of your kingdom. And mm. so you were inviting them to be part of your story. And so we thank you for them, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that we here today, Lord, we will continue to serve you and be part of your story, to make your story known and your kingdom come. So just bless Paul uh, now as he shares your word, your heart to us, mm. your story. Mm. Amen. 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 Thanks, uh, little boy Matt. Math. It's nice to be able to look down on people, isn't it? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> just uh, my wife and I, Connie and I, would just like to say thank you for inviting us today. And it's such a joy to come and come here again. We always feel we're coming home when we come here. So um, maybe... You could think about that when we pass on to glory and uh, you could invite us and we'll, we'll have our funeral here as well. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, maybe afterwards you could chat with us because uh, there's so many people here which are both old and new that we'd like to get to talk to. Uh, <clears throat> I've been asked this morning to share a bit about the early days uh, before Math was born. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, it's, it is uh, quite a thing to go, to go back and to, to look at the early days, but he, he, he's not, he didn't know, because he wasn't here when uh, I was preaching here, that my sermons used to be around 40 minutes long, and then he's asked me as well to give this report of uh, what is, in effect, 40 years of... Um, Thornhill. So we're going to be a long time, all right, in, in this. He's asked me to combine somehow a sermon with this overview of Thornhill Church. So I'm going to do a sermon in three parts, interspaced with some entertainment, uh, some slides of people that you might recognize and some of you won't. Uh, and unfortunately, he's, you know, shot some of my bullets already with the slides he had at the beginning. I didn't know they were going to do that. Uh, but uh, before we go into that, I want to remind you of the 20th, because it was only five years ago that you asked me to do the same thing, to give a review of the 20 years till that point. And I wonder whether anybody remembers the little scripture that I shared. Um, Jeremy McCoy did the sermon, but I shared a scripture at the beginning of the slides. I wonder if you remember. Well, just in case you don't, here it is. It's from Joshua. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites 
one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign in your midst. In the future, when your children ask you, what are these stones to you? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the question is, what are these stones to you? And uh, Joshua gives us the answer to that. He says, they're for a sign in your midst and for a reminder forever. And I want to ask you, what are these stones to you? You know, what do they mean to you? Joshua told the Israelites to choose 12 men and to go down into the River Jordan. They'd just gone through the Jordan, following the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and the water had stopped and piled up as a heap, and they followed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord down into the Jordan and up onto the other side, into the land of God's promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God said, I want you to go back down into Jordan and bring up a stone for every, every tribe and stand them here on this side of Jordan in the land of God's promise. What do these stones mean to you? They're a sign and they're a reminder. It's a sign of another meaning. When and your future generations say to you, and we've got quite a few future generations here today, when the future generations say to you, ask, what are these stones to you? I wonder how you answer. Uh, some people who don't know much might give an answer like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what this building is about. A pretty ignorant answer, of course. Some people might say, oh, it's the church. But you know that's not right either, as Math has been explaining. This is not the church. So what are these stones? It's a sign of something. It's a symbol. And it's a message with a deeper meaning. And those stones reminded the future generations when every son would ask the parents, what do these stones mean? They would be able to say, God saved us out of Egypt. And he took us down through Jordan, which means descender. It's descending down and down and down into the Dead Sea. It's a symbol of death itself. And that Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which is a symbol of Christ himself, conquered death and brought them up out of Jordan into the land of God's promise. And these stones are a sign of our salvation from Egypt <clears throat> We've entered in to God's promises. We've entered in to the blessings of God. And there's a lovely verse in the Bible which says, God has rescued us from the kingdom of, of darkness. God's rescued us from Egypt and transferred us into 
the kingdom of his beloved son. What are these stones to you? They're a sign of God's salvation. And every time we enter here, we're giving this testimony that we're part of a new community. We're part of the kingdom of God's beloved son. It's a wonderful thing. What are these stones to you? Well, the early days, are you all sitting comfortably? Once upon a time in 1982, so that's, this is the 40th anniversary of that first call. In October 1982, we had a call from God to acquire a plot of land here in Thornhill. We weren't living in Thornhill at the time. It was just the beginning of a housing estate. And God gave us a scripture from Jeremiah 32, which was one of those occasions which was like the direct voice of God. I don't know whether you've had some times like that as you've read the scriptures. And God simply said to me, I was a school teacher in the secondary school here, buy a plot of land. And it was a stupid idea to Jeremiah and it seemed a stupid idea to me too. How was that going to be possible? And uh, we went home and read from Hebrews 11, which Chris has read from this morning. Uh, how are we going to build this? Who's going to be the architect of this? And that scripture, the builder and the architect is God. Beautiful words. And I'll forever remember, God is in control. And if God calls, God provides. And in November, in the church we were in, we had a, a message on the, on the Monday evening prayer meeting from another visiting speaker. And he said, I'd like to read to you tonight from Jeremiah 32. And he could not know what he was saying on that night, but it was like the voice of God into my heart. We would have left and gone to Africa for the call that we had. It was that clear. And God said, I want you to buy a plot of land here in Thornhill. So in December, Connie and I moved again, another miracle. That quickly, we moved onto the housing estate and uh, Martin uh, followed soon afterwards. We met with a city planner and uh, after conversation with him, he encouraged us to put in a proposal for a, a community church center, which would be open seven days a week. Uh, for the church and for the community. We met with an architect, a Christian architect, who built a similar church in the city called Rob Cruz, and he was amazed to hear the vision, the call about buying a plot of land and building a church building here, because he was the architect in the city council who had actually done the plans for this estate, and uh, that was an encouragement to us. Then in the January of 83, we put the first letter to the council requesting this plot of land uh, for this, this building. But it took 15 years before that vision came to fulfillment. 1983 to 1993, uh, we visited every house on the estate. They were fewer then, of course. And we met many Christians living here, of course, all going to other churches in the city and uh, many numbers of them asked 
about the possibility of meeting together. And so in April of that year, we, we met together in a home for the first time and called it Thornhill Christian Fellowship. Uh, you've already seen this picture, but this is a picture I like. This fellowship used to go away once a year to a to church weekend, and uh, th this was a house party. We were at the Elam Valley looking over, and you could see how few we were in those days. Uh, in 1985, we had our first pu public outreach event using a marquee on the plot of land. Chris remembers it. Uh, that is Dave, where Dave Bodger's house now. It was a field then, and it, it rained for the two weeks that we had the tent there. And the following year, we had a second one, and they gave us permission to put the tent on this site. And we prayed in that tent with grass underneath our feet that God would give us this plot of land. Uh, during that outreach event, we only know of one person that professed faith in the Lord Jesus and it was a young boy and that young boy's name is Nick Andrews and today he's the head of the BBC Wales head of BBC commissioning in Wales and a church member a church leader uh, since that time a great encouragement uh, we commenced following that as Thornhill Church with 16 members meeting in Kefanon School, because there were no public buildings on the estate, uh, off the estate in Kefanon School. I think it's now the Welsh School. Uh, we started a youth club in the Leisure Centre, and then in 87 and 89, we baptised the first two individuals in, in the church, uh, using the Leisure Centre swim pool for the second one. This is a photo of the first youth club that met in the Leisure Centre, and you can see some good-looking guys standing there on the right-hand side of the back. <laughs> and uh, the guy in the front, right in the middle at the front with a blue and white striped top, uh, is Rod Green. And uh, he and his brother came to faith in the Lord Jesus in the youth club. And today they're both vicars in the Church of England. Uh, Rod Green, amazingly, has just been appointed last October as the Archdeacon of Landuff. So he came from London where he's been planting churches and is now the Archdeacon of Landuff. Would you ever believe that a youth club in the leisure centre would ever result in God touching lives like this? Um, <clears throat> following this... <clears throat> Uh, Highfields Church began to support the little fellowship because they could see the vision of a need for a church building here and uh, they, they encouraged us and sent some of their members, encouraged some of their members to come and join with us. And uh, in 1991, <clears throat> they built a new primary school, Thornhill Primary School, and we felt this was God's moment <clears throat> to start meeting on the estate. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, we started with 35 members. Uh, I'm going, sorry, the bottom one, sorry. We started with 35 members in that first church in, in um, Thornhill Primary School. 
and uh, mother and toddlers in St. Isaac's Church Hall. Uh, and we commenced a membership, a formal membership in the church so that we could appoint, elect leaders for the church in a formal way. And uh, these were the first leaders. And you recognize one or two of those. Uh, Martin, uh, Adrian Evans, and Glyn, uh, Professor of Maths in the University here, and uh, myself. Uh, but I might say behind these four guys are four better people, our better halves. And I would sincerely say that uh, Helen has been faithful over many, many years to this day. Uh, Adrian, Zedwina, Glyn, and Ruth, and Connie uh, for myself. What a tremendous blessing they've been in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> uh, in 1994, the council came to us after, what is this now, 12 years. The council, we, we'd sort of given up, maybe not given up, always hoped, because the land was still here, uh, that they would uh, allocate the land to us after all. Uh, but in 1994, they came to us. They approached us and asked us if we were still interested in building on the land, because they decided they couldn't do it. And so they, they offered it to us. Of course, we, we saw it as God's timing, and we went ahead and uh, started to consider that. Strangely enough, God had brought two people into our membership called Peter and Mary Wiles, and uh, they had come to the church. Both of them were NHS architects, and they were a major influence in the designing and the sort of managing of that whole process. <clears throat> in 1995, we put in an application which was granted, and uh, it was costed at about 600,000. And in 97, uh, the building was erected between February and September of that year. And so we opened in, thank you, in, in the October. Just a quick few photos of the building, which some of which you've seen now. <coughs> it's amazing, isn't it, to see just a skeleton like that, the concrete being poured. And uh, we opened the centre in October, the beginning of October 1997, with the Under Secretary of State for Wales, who is a Methodist, was a Methodist minister, and uh, he was delighted that he could support us in this way. <coughs> um, fr from, <coughs> from 1994 to 2000, um, <coughs> the, the building actually cost us 500,000 in the end about that, a half a million, and it was funded by 44 church members and made it 24 families. So you want to uh, ask how that happened? Well, God was behind it all, we believe. But there was a challenge. We didn't want to open a shell of a building. The challenge was for it to be a fully functioning facility. That was the phrase that was on our mind. And uh, we needed everything to be working in here and operating. And uh, we hadn't sort of developed the nursery, but strangely, God brought into the fellowship another architect, David, David Morley. And uh, he had already planned 
seven nurseries before he came to Thornhill. That's a coincidence, isn't it? And uh, we had a man walking off the street, and this isn't a word of a lie, into the coffee shop. And he said, I am a shop fitting carpenter, and I've just finished my job. I'm waiting to go into another job in a few months' time, and I want to give my time to you. Is there anything I can do? And Dave Morley gave him the spec, and he constructed the nursery uh, as we had it then. I'm not sure what it's like now. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> we had a, a centre manager appointed, Roger Prosser, that we all know and love, and a nursery manager, Sally Davis, who happened to be trained for this purpose and uh, it took over the running of the nursery. This is Roger, and this is Sally. And this was the first time in the nursery with the children. <clears throat> Of course, we needed lots of staff. At one stage, there were 23 staff members. Uh, here is the, uh, a bunch of them, a bit later, 2008, I think, uh, but numbers of the ladies who help with the nursery and the coffee shop and the centre. <coughs> of course, the centre was moving towards fully functioning seven days a week operation, and at Christmas, we used to run Christmas um, carol singing with the, with the kids from the nursery, and the coffee shop, uh, people would come in and, and, and listen. And uh, here's some photos of that. Uh, <laughs> these were the three wise men that year. <clears throat> uh, we used to run holiday Bible clubs, and uh, here's an example of uh, one of those. And if you look very carefully in the middle of this, uh, they had an amazing title for this particular one. I had nothing to do with this, but it says in Hebrew, and uh, this means, I will redeem you. And I don't know who had this in the Children's Holiday Bible Club, uh, but that's what it means. They were obviously talking about God as Redeemer. Uh, also, towards uh, 2007, Roger decided to retire. Uh, Roger did retire. This was his retirement due, just to give you evidence. But I, I don't think he actually ever did retire, did he? Uh, these were some of the people who were there on that evening. Two of these ladies have now passed away. And it's amazing to think of the years rolling by. Uh, so in uh, October 97, we had the opening weekend in the new building, and this is the photograph of, of that congregation and the sort of uh, the, the emptiness of the hall as it was at that stage. And the vision as we had it then, to be like Jesus. And of course, this is why I like this particular backdrop here and what Matt has said this morning. The vision of this church and all churches is to be like Jesus, uh, individually, in families, in community, as a church, and in society. Um, <clears throat> we appointed uh, community pastor Alex Wilson in 99, and appointed a teaching pastor, Jeremy and Elizabeth McCoy, in 2000, and uh, John Dick as the first youth worker. And uh, so things began to take off. Uh, and over the following years, running services, and service to the community. The fellowship uh, that we've come to enjoy here at Thornhill, 
the fellowship lunches that we're going to enjoy later, the fellowship weekends that we went away on, and uh, some team leader development occasions. Um, this was a church that was beginning to grow, and uh, to see the membership uh, slowly growing in those early days, uh, both the members and the attendants growing steadily over the first, first 10 years. Uh, but is it, is it about numbers? Is it about statistics? Well, this is, this is the second little word. I understand you've been going through Romans, and I was asked to preach on Romans 9. <coughs> well, that would have been another 40 minutes, wouldn't it? Uh, but uh, uh, here are two verses selected out of Romans 9, which are just beautiful for this purpose. Let's read these verses. The Lord says in Hosea, Paul's quoting Hosea, I will call the, this is a literal translation, the not my people, my people, and the not loved ones, loved ones. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, lo ami, you are not my people in Hebrew, there they shall be called children of the living God. What a tremendous statement that is, a quote from the Old Testament. And Paul is building his argument. And uh, I want to apply it to ourselves today here from Romans 9. Uh, we were not my people. There was an occasion when every one of us were separated from God. Not my people. We were not loved ones in this uh, word uh, description. Lo ruchama in Hosea. Not loved ones, not shown mercy. But there came a time in many of our lives when God spoke into our hearts and God touched us. And he opened our eyes to who Jesus is. Yeshua, the Messiah, who's Lord of all. And we bowed before him and made him our savior. And God says, there was a time when you were not my people, but now you are my people. There was a time when you were not loved ones, but now you are loved ones. Your children are the living God. Just think of this for Thornhill Church today. God is saying to us, my people, my people. And God is saying to us, children of the living God. There can't be a higher calling. There can't be a higher blessing than this. For God to say, my people. And for God to say, you are children of the living God. It is a wonderful privilege. And uh, God is speaking to our hearts here in these amazing words. But uh, I believe this passage is explaining the sort of root problem. Uh, if you read through Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll see that Paul is trying to handle this challenge about God's gifts and calling being irrevocable. And God had already given his gifts and calling to Israel. And what had happened to them, they'd ended up going into exile and God had said, now you're not my people. Now you're not loved ones. But there came a time when God called them again from exile and called them my people again. 
and my loved ones. And Paul is quoting this. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They were without repentance. God never changes his mind when he calls you, uh, when he blesses you, when he gives you his gifts. He'll never take them back. And uh, I believe the whole argument Paul is making here uh, is about those amazing promises that God made in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, look at my Bible here. You can see uh, that it's divided at Matthew's Gospel. And you can see that between two-thirds and three-quarters of our Bibles is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, God's Word to His people, Israel. And I believe the gifts and calling of God made in the three quarters of the Bible are without repentance. They're irrevocable. God will never take those back. They're yet to be fulfilled, many of them, in their fullness. But of course, there's another part of our Bibles, isn't there? And God says, you non-Jews, you too are now called my people. You non-Jews also can become children of the living God. It's amazing miracle. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So how do we see that expressed here? These are people, these people in the church, my people, children of the living God. My people, children of the living God. My people, children of the living God, on a church weekend in 2005. My people, children of the living God. We also went away on leaders weekend sometimes. This was one in January 2008 and you can see uh, the, the leadership team that we had at that time. And uh, you can see Martin and myself, but uh, Carl, the youth pastor, John Stockley, who's now the CVM uh, director for Wales, and uh, uh, Adrian and Dinah. And I particularly like to mention Dinah because Dinah was the pastoral carer here for many years. And Dinah became a Christian in this church through, through her children, really, bringing her uh, to join Alpha and she started Alpha and within a few sessions she came to faith in the Lord Jesus and uh, years later uh, her husband Lathan uh, turned to Christ as well and both of them were baptized in this place and Dinah eventually became the pastoral carer uh, for the church what an amazing example of the way God calls us and makes us his people children of the living God and his gifts and his calling are irrevocable a fantastic example uh, this was uh, um, a training conference we went to and uh, this was a fellowship lunch and I'm showing this to show you that things never change <laughs> uh, this was March 2005 and uh, here they are queuing up for food still uh, <clears throat> so I'm looking forward to our lunch afterwards uh, and here is the event we met at five years ago the church still meeting my people children are the living God 
But my closing words, and uh, these are those, I'd like to read to you uh, from uh, the passage that we are doing in our church in Gilwan near Abergavenny. Uh, we're reading through and preaching through Acts at the moment. And uh, this is a story of when the Antioch church began, and it was like a revival. And uh, those in Jerusalem heard about it, and they thought, we'd better find out about it. And they sent a lovely man called Barnabas to go and see what was happening. And this is what it says. News of this revival in Antioch reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christ ones first at Antioch. Do you notice what Barnabas noticed in that text? It says, when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. What a fantastic thing. I wonder how he knew that. He saw what the grace of God had done. As Barnabas came into this church, he saw they were God's people, and he saw that they were children of the living God, what the grace of God had done. Fantastic words. But because he was a man of encouragement, uh, he encouraged them to do two things, if you read the text carefully. The first thing was, remain true to the Lord. Look at those words. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. True to the Lord with all their hearts. And you know, I'm 71 years of age now. You, would, you wouldn't believe it, would you? I'm 71 years of age now. I'm an old man, and I think I've got the, the right to say this. With all the years I've had dealing with charities, I've been involved with 16 charities in my life. With all the years I've spent involved with churches and membership in churches and leading churches and committee meetings and dealing with carpets and paint color and worship teams, you know, with all these challenges, I would say the only thing that matters is Jesus. The great Swiss-German theologian, Karl Barth, was asked once, what is the summary of all, how can he put it to one sentence, all the theology that he's learned? And he said, what I learned on my grandmother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's all about Jesus, his love for us, and our love for him. And Barnabas encouraged that church to get committee meetings, to choose leaders, to get the paint color right. No, he chose them, told them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And I want to encourage you, Thornhill Church, please, please 
Do not get distracted from this one thing. Remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. You know, people will let you down. I will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. Live your life for him. Live your life to be like him. Give your heart fully to him. And I'm encouraging you to remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. But that wasn't all. The second thing he encouraged them was to remain true to his word. Look, he went and found Saul and he brought him back. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught them taught great numbers of people. And you know, it's not just some fluffy thing, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's for the Bible tells me so. Our only confidence, our only security, our only rock is the solid word of God. And you build your life with your face looking to Jesus and your heart and your knowledge grounded in his word, then you won't go wrong. I pray that God will encourage you to remain true to the Lord and true to his word. And so this is my sermon for the later days of Thornhill in three sentences. Number one, the physical. What's the physical about? Any physical. It's a sign and a symbol. It's a reminder of deeper things. Number two, the spiritual. Where my people, God's people, children of the living God, this is the deep thing. This is what God has made us. And number three, the eternal. The eternal. Remain true to the Lord and his word with all your hearts. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we bow before you and we, we recognize that this story over 40 minutes has hidden lots of realities of the 40 years. And Father, you know the, the heartaches and the challenges and the troubles that this church has gone through and is going through. And Father, we know that also it's difficult for us human beings, even so-called saints, to live together closely as your family. But Father, we pray for each other. We pray that Jesus might be head of this church and Jesus might be our vision and Jesus might be the one that we follow every moment of our days. Father, glorify yourself in our lives individually and glorify yourself in the life of this church through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.